Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas. Ice House is blaring on the stereo. It's humid and dangerous and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, Dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980, and each week we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book, and Dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very, very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins. Every week, I, Paul Verhoeven, sit down with my dad, John Verhoeven, and we go through some of the cases I talked about in my book about him, Loose Units. And we've kind of reached this sticking point. I think, Dad, we are just about halfway through the book. How does that feel? Feels good. Really good. Something wrong with your throat? No, no. I like how you always save your kind of throat clearing until your first line on the show. Paul, you are prone to exaggeration, and there is a classic case of it. Would you like me to go through the hundreds of hours <laughs> no, I've edited together Paul, and play funniest, your montage? Paul, the funniest thing, when I was in um, Melbourne with Christine, we were down and we visited you and Tegan. One of the funniest things that I'm still dining out on, it's a classic, and that is that... You often mimic me and you think you are so different to me. But then you thought perhaps you were 50-50, 50% from mum's genes and 50% from mine. But Tegan, because when I watch you, I, I see myself, which is a bit weird in terms of your mannerisms, but you actually thought you were sort of more like your mother but Tegan said actually no you're more like your father yes but so. she would also say that to wind me up because that does wind me up <laughs> she knows how to push my, butt- my buttons but Paul you should be honoured and thrilled that you're like me how would you feel if uh, if someone said you're exactly like your father that's Honest- below honestly. the belt Paul that's no no no, no I'm, I'm, this is not a crack I'm deadly serious because you clearly because you're raised by people and you inherit traits from them. So it makes sense that you would absorb some stuff from your dad. But then your path through life has you changing that stuff and kind of reworking mm. it. But you, you can know, choose. Create... Yeah, but you yeah. Can, if they're negative things, you can choose to reject them. You can try, but sometimes they're going to creep through, right? <laughs> Fuck, Paul. <laughs> oh, God, you're funny. 
Anyway, it's like <laughs> you're sort of saying that being like me is not so good. No, I'm saying there's pros and cons, Dad. So I like I literally said we did, I did a talk for um for a library that you and Mum tuned into a couple of days ago, and it was, it was bloody marvelous. Thanks. It was really fun. It was over in um, Bunjil Place, over in Victoria, and I was asked whether I was. I believe they asked me whether I was anything like you. And I said, well, what I've tried to do is take the traits that I really like and kind of, you know, draw on those and, mm. you know, kind of course correct and build my own identity out of that. What I'm trying to say is that there are some some aspects of you which I have built my entire personality on. And that's, I think, a serious compliment. And then there's, there's got to be stuff about you that you're not, you know, super in love with that you would hope that would get ironed out, right? There's got to be, you know, everyone's got to have their own stuff that they work in. I'm not just taking things from you and mum. I'm obviously absorbing things from friends, from, you know, from the world around me. I'm, I'm mm. informing but the DNA of my personality. Mm. There's definitely a lot of you. There's, there's a lot of you in there. But Tegan, mm. Tegan knows what to say to get a rise out of us. <laughs> yeah. And it worked. Mm. It worked. Yeah. So no, in no, a way, it's... in a way, the person at fault here is Tegan. Hmm. But I, um, look, I've always believed that, like, I, I think I've mentioned this to you and the listeners in the mm. past, but my mother, yep. um, she, whenever it came to the good traits um, of, for example, me, she would always sort of align those traits with her side of the family. Have we had this discussion? Yes, I think you brought this up. Or when it came to negative stuff, it was always and down to always your dad's... my father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think, and my father, rightfully so, used to sort of look a little bit sort of sad and think, well, hang on a sec, that's, that's just actually impossible. But I also think with bad traits that if you begin to realise they're coming through in your own personality, as you mm. grow, as you grow... Um, if you're not happy with them, you have two options. You can ignore it and just go with the flow, which I yep. think is really, really bad. And I think that is one of the problems with with parenting insofar as if you've had a bit of a rough trot as a child being sort of, you know, overly disciplined, for example, yeah, or, or overly strict parents, which was the case, case in point being me, um... And my mother never agreed with the way my father disciplined me. She never agreed with it. And, um, you know, I could have been like my father with you three kids, mm -hmm. but I made a conscious decision to break, sort of draw a line in the sand. And both Christine and I had very, very strict upbringings, overly strict. I mean, my yes. I was... my. My youth was so fraught with sort of rules and regulations that I simply did what a lot of kids... I mean, you either had two options. You could either comply, be complicit and go with the flow, or you could do what I did and be a total ratbag and sort of rebel, which I and, did and loved. But what's interesting about you is that you... Um as listeners know and readers know, there are many times in which there are many ways in which you have deliberately gone. Look, there's some stuff about the way I was raised I don't like. I'm I'm going to run in the opposite direction and I'm going to raise my kids, no curfews, and mm. really kind of let them kind of forge their own paths. Right. Yes. Yep. But what's really interesting about the whole loose units thing is that it always struck me early on that um, 
one of the narratives I threaded through the book was you kind of looking for a mentor slash father figure, not necessarily a father figure, but you know, like a mentor to someone to kind of guide you and raise you and give you the kind of approval and the guidance that you so clearly deserved, right? Mm, yeah. Because every, everyone wants that kind of, you know, everyone wants a mentor, I think. I mean, I would love mm. to have a, you know, growing up, I wanted kind of cool older people who could inform my taste and, you know, impart wisdom and life lessons and stuff like that. You know, teach me to do karate. But it, it looks like going through loose units, you sort of had this bum run of kind of crappy mentors. I mean, mm. you were stuck with um, you were stuck with Len Beater and he was mm. awful. Yeah, you you got paired up with Ant Man. You know, he was just violent and and, and uh, an absolute bully, like a tyrant. Mm. And you, the reason you gelled with Julian is because you both agreed that that was a kind of shit house way to go through the police force. And the reason this next chapter strikes me as so timely is because it's called So Sumi, and it's basically about your very brief stint with a mentor called Sue. And I thought it was so interesting to see what happened when you were paired up with a, well, a woman mm. uh, and an older, like a woman that was older than you. I think mm. she was like t- 10 years older than you. Mum yep, yep, yep. Um, actually was friends with Sue. And last night, mum sent me a photo which we can post on the Facebook page with mum's permission. If it's not there, it's just because mum's gone, please don't post this as it's private. But Sue was ostensibly... Could you describe what Sue was like as a person? Well, firstly, um, it needs to be noted that Sue, which is her real Christian name, yeah, um, and mum, Christine, mm-hmm. were in the same class together. Now, Paul, this is a little bit kind of not weird, but I think it's quite fascinating. And that is that Sue was 10 years older than Christine. Sure. So by default, she was 10 years older than me because Christine and I are pretty well the same age. Well, mum's older than you slightly. Slightly, slightly. But the thing, Paul, is that Christine, because I chatted with Christine last night. I said, look, Paul has asked me... Mm-hmm. to go into the the deepest recesses of your mind and try and come up with some stories of, you know about your relationship with Sue and Christine brought up some lovely photographs um really great photos of Christine when she was 19 which is incredibly young and um but photos of her and Sue and all her other because in Christine's class at Redfern Police Academy, there were at least 10 women. But two of the women, Christine and Sue, were both posted to North Sydney, being the first two females ever in general duties to work at North Sydney Police Station. But Christine admired and looked up to Sue because Sue was 10 years older, but Sue had come from a very senior role in banking. And when they did the typing, Christine was telling me last night mm. at the at the academy, you know, you had to have 30 words per minute on these ancient, and I mean ancient, typewriters that are probably now in museums, if any of them have survived. Um, and Christine very very proudly said that she typed about 80 words a minute, which is phenomenal. 
with virtually no mistakes. But then Christine last night told me that Sue typed over 100 words a minute with, with little or no mistakes. And that's because of the banking background? The or? banking background, but also, you know, she was um, 10 years older, so let's say she was near 30 at the academy, and Christine felt that she just was a really wonderful role model. I mean, if you are 20 and someone's 30, they've had 50% more time on earth than you. And in that 10 years, there's a vast sort of array of experiences that that, that can sort of prepare you and, and better you for this amazing career that both Christine and Sue are involved in. So when when Christine... You know how they... I don't know whether you know, but it's a little bit like in the film Legally Blonde when they're all waiting to find out who got a posting to a, to a really good law firm and it comes out in the university, you know, on a notice board and, and that's yeah. how it happened at the Redfern Police Academy. You, that was the day where all the recruits, in my case there were 170 or so recruits, in Christine's case there would have been, you know, well over 100 recruits and they all sort of jostle and and sort of you know try and get close to this board and then on the board it it tells you on that fateful day when you're finishing your initial training what station you'll be posted to and Mm. christine and sue were both posted to north sydney police station so by the time i started you know a year later once i'd finished my buddy period which was getting to be probably 15 or 16 months after Sue, so she was sort of, once you'd finished your, your sort of one year, you, you know, you would be the senior person on, on the car. Yeah. And then I'd just finished my, my 12-week buddy period and I was pretty, I was a bit sort of jaded, I suppose, because um, I'd got to see some of the amazing buddies, the, the, the 10 people in my class, we, 10 of us went to North Sydney in one hit males and females and I was you know Paul and it's in the book how I felt about I thought I'd been given the short straw yeah um, but that was good I'm pleased that happened now because it and meeting Julian of course and, and, and already being fairly mature insofar as figuring out what I didn't want to be it's like you go into an organisation like you you at Triple J you know you would have seen people that you would have thought these people are, this is who I want to be. I mean, yeah. obviously you want to be an individual, but th- you aspire to, to greatness, hopefully. Not everyone does, but um, there would have been people at Triple J that you would have thought, mm, no, nah, that's not really my, that's not, that's not how I'm going to work. And, and same in the police. So mm. finally, I got to work with Sue. And she was a, she was six, six feet tall yeah. She dressed immaculately. She had short hair. She was... I mean, even the way she held her folder, there was something about it. It was a little bit... It almost had an air of um, kind of a senior officer in the military. Right. You know, very proper. Why if do you she, think she had that kind of... Because, I mean, she, like I said, in the book, it, it it was more dramatically interesting if I kind of obfuscated that fact that she was in the same class as mum. Right. I mean, Mm. it was because I wanted to give a sort of I wanted to give a kind of, you know, mid-career Noni Hazelhurst 
like Jackie Weaver-esque vibe. I wanted someone who was just older, wiser, you know, kind of a bit hardcore and didn't take any stick. Mm. But and it's technically true that she is older. It like is. You pointed yeah. out. But yeah. but but the 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 way she carried herself and her assertiveness was more down to her as a person and her life experience as opposed mm. to her actual rank, right? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Okay. She, in my opinion, I, I think it's fair to say that she um, demonstrated the attributes of someone of far higher rank. Yeah. Okay. And um, because there were people of rank at North Sydney Police Station that, quite frankly, didn't deserve the stripes that were sewn onto their uniforms. Sure. But back in those days, we had a really weird system and it carried through into the New South Wales Fire Brigades when I was there and it's simply called Next Cab Off The Rank. It didn't matter whether you were an incompetent pedophile psychopath with who, 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 who'd never ever ironed their uniform and was overweight and slobbered and spat when they spoke. They, if they were Next Cab Off The Rank, they got the promotion. There was no promotion by merit, which is scary. That's odd. Think yeah. about some of the absolute freaks that made their way up in all the organisations. And then over, over a period of time, they saw the light and they began to... And here's something really controversial. They actually used to promote people by merit. And I know that the Police Association and definitely the New South Wales Fire Brigade's union in the very beginning stages of this concept god help us of actually getting the best people into the senior roles yeah because quite frankly paul some of the people that i for example some sergeants in the new south wales police force in the 1980s were were i'd need to refer to a thesaurus to come up with a few new words but you would shudder when you worked with them I mean, honestly, I worked with a sergeant at every single pedestrian crossing we pulled up at. If there was a girl walking past, he would wind his window and he would just say things that made me want, a, made me want the front driver's seat of the police car to devour me. It was horrendous. Right. And that was... That was and I just... When I worked with people... And you had no choice... You can't say to a sergeant or the, or the roster sergeant that rosters you to, to be. That's the thing about police. Once you got out of your buddy period, if there were 100 police officers at North Sydney, mm-hmm. you would be working with 100 police officers and there were, it was just random. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So that, that, that fateful day when Sue was standing there at the counter, it was an afternoon shift, and um, I thought, wow. But I, I began to realise that, um, and I and I and I stick by my by my feelings to this very day, and I've I've said it before, and I'll say it again with great um, sincerity, and that is that there were police officers, uh, women, that you would have felt safer with when the shit hit the fan, right. and that's that sounds bizarre. But, you know, it didn't matter whether you're male or female. The concept of policing is, is the concept of policing. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I have um, seen and worked with women that were, quite frankly, phenomenal. And, um, and Could you tell me a bit about what it was like to, I mean, it seems like that's the kind of person Sue was. Could you tell me a bit about your first shift with her and uh, what it was like to work with her? Yeah, it was an afternoon shift and I was I was like a coiled spring. I mean, I've always been like a coiled spring mm-hmm. uh, from the minute I was born, I think. You should sell um, springs on the merch shop. I'd like yeah. to sell springs um, with a tiny little face, my face on the top of it. Um, but I just have this boundless energy and, and I, think the, I think Sue realized that. Um, and I'd had a shitty buddy period for three months and I thought, wow. And I, she just looked fantastic she looked she looked sort of like a regimental sergeant major she was just immaculate you know I remember her shoes were always you know just spotless she had stockings they had those weird sort of tight fitting uh, light blue skirts which were completely impractical mm-hmm. for as, as Christine has pointed out and um, she said to me okay now you know, make sure, because there were certain things you had to do at the commencement of the shift. You had to go to the computer, you had to do a printout of the hot list, stolen cars, the last 20 stolen, the last, you know, back then it was probably in the last 20 minutes, there'd been 50 cars stolen. Sydney was out of control with car theft. And you would read all the telex messages. Telex is a word that maybe some younger people might not be au fait with. And, you know, you just had to sort of brief yourself and be prepared and no, and make sure, and seeing I was the driver, I had to make sure the car was full of fuel, I had the logbooks, I had the radios, made sure the batteries were charged, checked the car, checked the car for that, that no prisoners had left anything um, secreted, in, in, yep. in, particularly in the rear of the car, and, and basically walk around the car, make sure the sirens, the lights, 
headlights because it was an afternoon shift, so it had become dark during the shift, and really just make sure. And I knew that she absolutely expected the very, very best. And I may have even gone out and opened up the door for her, which I think she thought was a little bit odd um, because she liked to believe that we were all equals. But I was still, you know, I've always liked opening the doors for for people. Um, and it was a busy road. It's the highway. It's, um, you know, it's the Pacific Highway. It's, it's super busy. So yeah. being the driver, you had to walk around the car and sort of be a little bit careful getting into the car. And... Off we went, and I, I remember driving up Pacific Highway, and this is a this is it's in the book, Paul, and it's it's such. And I occasionally think about this particular little incident that I will relate to you all, um, and that is that we pulled up at a set of lights, and I was desperate to show her that I was keen, observant, astute, um, you know, all the things that I believed she was, and she would have expected me to be, and I remember we were parked at a set of lights somewhere in North Sydney. It was a pretty busy area. And um, I saw through the corner of my eye someone sprinting, like dashing. And I became hyper alert. And I said to Sue, I said, Sue, this guy, look, he's, he's running. And, you know, in, in my mind, he'd obviously uh, done something wrong because he's running. And then sweet Sue looked at me in a sort of a unknowingly kind of almost motherly look and she said to me john it's it's raining and then i realized that this particular guy was just running to get out of the rain and it was a great it was funny but it was also it it kind of made me realize that yes you've got to be observant but you've also got to be keyed in and and it made me realize that you know hasten slowly um so i sort of backed off a little bit and felt a bit you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but later in that shift, we got a call from a, uh, or through VKG that there was a, a car accident. Uh, it was an accident, no person injured, one one car involved. Yep. And we rocked up and it was in Camaray and there was a young girl. She would have been probably maybe 18 years of age. And when we got there, um, there were three or four tow truck or tow trucks um, with the associated drivers that, as you say, were, you know, tattooed. And these guys were all standing around this. And it was a little bit like, if you can imagine, like a stunned doe, as in D-O-E, sort of being on a road with three or four sets of headlights just staring at this this tiny little deer. But what's weird is, Dad, you've... I mean, previously in the book, this has happened as well. You've encountered and you, you talked me through and I wrote about... Tow truck drivers kind of, you know, seizing upon a vulnerable person and sort of haranguing them. And I feel like, do you feel like what you did next was a direct result of having Sue around? Were you trying to impress her? Do you feel calmer with her there? Did you feel more? Because what you did here was kind of, it was kind of cool. Mm. Um, and you kind know, how sometimes you rise, to, you rise to meet the greatness of the people around you. Mm, I agree with you, Paul. Um, And what I did, um, which I will explain to the listeners, um, you know, it could have backfired. Yep. It could have been absolutely horrendous. And I still to this day can't believe that everything went so so calmly and uh, as per the 
I mean, what I did was pretty uncool in a way, um, but um, this young girl was being uh, basically threatened by these three or four uh, guys that had, you know, just kind of come out of the primordial ooze, like come out of a sort of a tar pit, um, you know, knuckle-dragging, heavily tattered, um, really, really heavy dudes um, from three or four prospective tow truck companies, and they, they all wanted to get the tow. And it was um, it was very upsetting because they were intimidating and really really scaring. And this this poor young girl, she she did not know what to do. And thank God she would have thought, "Golly, the police are here." And you know, we needed to sort of to settle things down. And um, and they were basically just sort of thrusting um, forms um, in her direction because whichever one she then ultimately signed, I guess the guy that. Um, you know, made her the most scared because um, none of them used charm, I can assure you. And Sue walked up and she was really sort of, you know, giving giving some of these guys a gobful. And she took, she took no shit from anyone and it was really, really good. But I kind of felt that the situation wasn't really, you know, it was sort of, it was, it, it was um, getting, getting more and more heated and then I'm starting to think to myself, God, this this actually could escalate. And uh, so th- there were various things going through my mind. I guess the, the thing that went through my mon- mind the most was whether or not I'd have to ultimately perhaps call a signal one because it was really getting very heated. Right. And um, I just had this sort of brain snap. Uh, and yes, you, you're probably right, Paul. I There was a part of me um, that felt... Um, I guess I was inspired because of the situation yeah. and also the, the, the perceived vulnerability and I don't like bullies and there were three or four real bullies, um, you know, real standover guys and I just thought this is really uncool on so many levels and I pulled my baton out, which was a, a mother of a baton. It was about, it was, it was metal that had a knurled handle. I mean, it, it, if, you, if it came into contact with a bone, for example, the bone would break. I mean, these were, were were pretty pretty full on battens, and I remember I walked over to these guys, and I just kind of come through, and the group spread slightly, and I took out my baton, and I held it sort of behind, and I just gave it about a, a 180 degree arc, and I drove the baton with full force down onto the bonnet of one of the tow trucks, and it just. I mean, my like in a cartoon where someone, a character, hits something and then the vibration goes through the object and it, into me, and I and it was like a bone shattering vibration. Yeah, and I just brought the baton down, and there was a there was this massive noise, and everyone just sort of stopped and looked at me as though I must have looked as though I was possessed, and then everything just kind of just basically died away. And Sue then said to the to the guys, guys, one of you's got the toe, sort it now, or, or it's going to be on for young and old. And um, it was great because what I did, and then the tow truck driver, this guy, he was really pissed off because I'd actually dented the front of his tow truck. And I kind of thought to myself, John, your life might end right now. This could be the last shift you ever do before you get choked out and whatever. But it didn't happen. And, um, and, and just sort of... It knocked the wind out of the sails, and I think I have a feeling that 
I almost gained a little bit of respect. Um, and I think Sue was quietly, uh, I was shitting myself. I thought she's going to be really pissed off. But she wasn't. And she was really, uh, you know, she gave me a sort of a very discreet smile and a bit of a thumbs up and, and, and we sorted it. And um, and that was my first shift. And I went on to work many, many, many shifts with Sue. And, and, I, and I just had deep admiration for her incredible you know, knowledge and she was so professional and she took no shit and she was bloody marvellous. And I'll tell you what, in a brawl, she would have been better than half the blokes at North Sydney. She what, are you, what are you basing that on? On just her her attitude, her her, her demeanour, her her physical, her physicality, her, you know, her, she was strong, she was, she was fit. Um, yeah, and she was bloody marvellous. And then when we got back to the police station, um, I basically, this girl, this young woman got out of another car, like a, an unmarked car, and she comes up to, um, to Sue, and they hug each other. And Sue says to me, oh, uh, this is Christine. And I looked at Christine, and of course we know who Christine is, and um, Christine had been working in some squad, um, playing clothes, undercover, kind of doing, it was called the Romeo Squad, and they were investigating, uh, you know, young girls that had been sexually assaulted in the inner city. Yeah. And how's that? Sue basically introduced me because um, they were friends. So, Dad... What happened to Sue later in life? I mean, sorry, well, you know, what, what happened to her throughout her career? Did you keep having run-ins with her? Do you know where she ended up? No, but I, I, I do know this, Paul, that she could have gone all the way, you know, right up into, into the mega ranks. She was so great. But she also would have made a mind-blowing detective. Right. Because back in the 1980s at North Sydney Police Station... Mm-hmm. There were ultimately quite a few women. It was it was really well balanced. It was bloody great, and um, but I do recall up in the detective's office up the road, there were um, between one and two females in the detective ranks, which uh-huh. is a really really small number. Um, but Sue ended up marrying um, quite a quite a wonderful senior ex-country police officer. Obviously, or not obviously, but in, in those days she took his name, his his so her surname changed. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't sort of follow, but considering how old Christine and I are now and how old she is in comparison to us, she... She's probably required, uh, retired, right? Yeah, and I'd say she would now be at least I can't I can hardly say the number, but I'd say seventy. Okay. So long retired and um sure. but she was a an asset and a credit to to the New South Wales police force and mm. um and, and and as I said and as I've always maintained, uh there were there were female police officers in the New South Wales police force that when you saw that you were working with them you you knew that it was going to be a great shift. Yeah. Without sounding, oh golly, there's really no other way of saying what I'm about to say, listeners, but 
and just take it for what it is and and and, and all just remember the time of the 80s where there were a lot of rednecks and rough and tumble and it was just a totally different scene it was it was exciting it was thrilling but it cannot be compared with policing today it was another time and there've been lots and lots of you know stories and films and and you know it's it's a very well known time in in Australian policing but it was not uncommon for a female police officer in a really heavy situation to definitely be able to kind of uh, what's that word Paul where you can sort of take the heat out of something diffuse diffuse excellent mm. and and that was just really really good and I think that even some crims when they saw a police officer who was a female I'm quite sure that some of their really, really basic sort of primal instincts would sometimes just kick in and and all of a sudden, you know, they'd go, look, I think men, dare I say it, and I'm not speaking about today, everyone, but I'm, t- I'm speaking about 40 years ago, um, I think uh, it, was, it was great and I think it was really good and, and I know that I went to a lot of domestics, so many it was it was terrible, right? And I think that it was just bloody fantastic to have a female. And you know, again, I reiterate, I don't want this to be misconstrued in any way. But I think you need. I mean, let's face it: in the world, we have fifty-fifty, approximately fifty percent men on the earth and fifty percent women on the earth, and and I think in policing, I think it's very important to also, you know, demonstrate, you know, a, if it's a, you know, to be realistic in terms of representing society, seeing the whole, because let's face it, it is a cross-section. You want it to be a cross-section. Um, and when you, once you get into that organisation, uh, you can then begin to get a sense of what you feel would be sort of more suited to your your aspirations. Um, I had an opportunity to join the very, very beginning, the genesis of the uh, the tactical response group, now known as the Civil Disobedience and Riot Squad, and every state's got them. In Sydney, we get around in massive black four-wheel drives, and, you know, if they rock up to a job, you know that it's going to be a little bit serious. Um, and, and, and Julian and Dave, the other Dave, uh, my my diving buddies, yeah, uh, they both were in the inaugural class of the TRG. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, and they used to regale me with stories. I mean, incredible stories, but it just didn't do it for me. You know, I didn't really fancy um, fronting up in a riot situation, like a heavy, heavy siege or something, and having the shit kicked out of me. That yeah. just wasn't me. I preferred to be you know, kind of behind the scenes, although I did love frontline work, don't get me wrong, I, I really loved it when Julian and I used to work together, uh, when, which is later on, later down the track, story-wise, mm. you know, we were, we, were, um, we were a tour de force in terms of policing. Yeah. Um, but again, I think the female um, aspect is, um, is just terrific. Well, 
I'd like to kind of touch back on the Sue stuff later on in the season, but that's all the time we have for this week's episode. I, I also am going to check with Mum and see if it's okay to put Sue's picture up because I'm so curious to see where she ended up given how much promise she showed in the, in the police force. Uh, so I guess, Sue, if you're listening, feel free to get in, t- in touch and let us know. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Loose Units Origins. This week, um, Dad and I are going to do a Loose Ends as usual, so have no fear. If you want to get in touch, facebook.com forward slash Loose Units is the best way to drop us a line. We'll try and answer some questions at the end of the week. In the meantime, be good to each other and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.